Welcome to Fast Frontiers. I am your host, Tim Shigel, Managing Partner of Refinery Ventures. In this episode, we're bringing you my conversation with friend Wendy Lee, digital innovation strategist, ecosystem development guru, and currently the CEO of Energize Colorado. Wendy has a lot of learnings to share with us and unique experiences. These were formed by her intention and direction in life to be independent, self-reliant, and self-directed. Wendy shares her great stories of lessons she learned working for, as she calls, big co's, and small businesses that experienced big growth, which led her to ultimately become startup CEO and eventually successful angel investor. Please enjoy my conversation with Wendy Lee. Wendy Lee is a leading digital innovation strategist and ecosystem development guru. World-class. Wendy's currently the CEO of Energize Colorado, where she's mobilizing resources and relief for small businesses, nonprofits, and individuals recovering from the economic impact of COVID-19. Wendy also serves on Danaher Water Innovation and Technology Board, the P&G Ventures Advisory Board, and several venture-backed startup boards. So Wendy and I met in her tech startup in San Francisco many moons ago, part of recruiting her to Centrifuge in Cincinnati, uh, which I think is potentially uh, where the ecosystem bug kind of was implanted, if you will. Welcome, Wendy. Good to talk to you again. Love to just first, before we get into, you know, what you're doing now, kind of how you got to this place. You've got a great, very interesting background, multidimensional, many different facets. And I think there's a lot that people can learn from the journey yeah. you've been through. Yeah, that's that, that's a great question. And thanks for having me, Tim. It's an honor to see you and Abby again and to be a part of this podcast series that you're doing with folks around the world. So what an honor it is for me to participate. Yeah, the question about how did I get here is really an interesting one because there was no career counselor that would have suggested this path. And when I was graduating from university, there was no entrepreneurship program right, at the University of Mississippi in Oxford, Mississippi, that said, and if you're feeling that pull to be an entrepreneur, go and meet your peeps here on campus, like we do in Miami, right, or we do, you know, around universities around the U.S. now. There was none of that. So I think the thumbnail is my North Star, even as a very young woman, graduating from university was to be independent. And I share this story a lot. I mean, I did not want to be dependent on family, friends for what, wherever I was headed. I wanted to figure it out, pay my own way. Self-reliant. And, and be self-directed in the pursuit of whatever that was. And it wasn't, there was no clarity there. So I think that is, was a design principle of my life to be independent. Now I'm not saying that's great because I didn't use, I didn't have leverage. Uh, It's not that I didn't have any mentors, but I didn't have a lot. So I was always in here thinking, okay, well, what is your potential, Miss 
Wendy Smith, that was my maiden name, what is your potential? Because if you want to be independent, you got to get real clear with your potential. Even now, it, it could change and grow. But th those are two very important points for me. I diary about this all the time because I share that with my nieces and nephews when they say, what am I going to do? Who am I going to be? <laughs> right? Well, first of all, decide your overall direction. Mine was to be independent, self-reliant, self-directed, and then decide what are you optimizing for? To be well-known, to have a lot of money, blah, 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 blah. And I was optimizing for achieving my potential as a human. And that comes back from the way I was raised from my mom, who's a active Buddhist. And that's all she ever said. You're, you're in charge of your own potential. So pursue that. Okay. So that's a design principle. But the thumbnail after that was really straightforward. I mean, I had to make a living. I said I had to be independent. No one was going to give me any money. So I had a series of, of gigs, chapters of work, even when I was very young and married very young, right? Because I had to provide food and have shelter and all the things that citizens and humans have to have. But I think I got a groove going when I realized that I didn't, there wasn't a formula that there would be many experiences that I would have over time and I had to discover them. Mm. And I can only discover them by being in them. And so for me not to feel like any job or role was forever, because that was another thing my mother taught me, everything is impermanent. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I had that in my DNA. Well, I can go do this. I don't have to do forever, but I'll go learn and see how it feels. And then I'll go do that. So my first phase was really focused on big company stuff because, you know, I'm from Mississippi, working class family. They have benefits, big companies. They give you training. Big I mean, come on, why not? Right. And I had a couple of bites at that apple, two different industries, but very significant learning. You know, I was rough around the edges. I needed that professional training, right? I needed right. to be exposed to global issues. So that was a great phase. And that phase went from college graduation all the way through 29, right? I mean, so, so that was two big industry, CPG and financial services, very important roles, both technical and outbound. So, you know, got good exposure. And I got to tie that on to see how it felt. So looking back at that, actually now, from here, the role that being in that maybe larger and more structured environment, how did that kind of help you and shape it was you? Very, it was very positive, but also it was like a rock in my shoe. <laughs> I mean, it was positive because I got it. Yeah. I could do it. I could comply. It wasn't like anyone was asking me to give up my arm, but it was like a rock in my shoe every day because I questioned things that, that most people didn't question. Like it seemed like everything was too over-engineered to me. Like, why are we doing all those steps? Why can't we just go to the end? But I still observe that and I did it. I complied and I would get promoted, whatever that meant back in the day. Uh, but I knew at 29 years old, I had hundreds of people reporting to me more than I could handle 
by the way. I said, <laughs> this is not for me. So what is it about this experience I want to take to the next one? That's when I left, moved to Dallas, and began kind of the career I'm still in, interestingly enough, right? At 30. I mean, meaning a technology-oriented perspective focused on skills and knowledge and go-to-market. You know, I mean, really, it was, I worked for an entrepreneur for the first time, not big companies, and I observed him, and he was crazy as a loon, but I could really <laughs> frame up business building, right? I was observing business building, even though I'd never done that myself. And it was there something about, was there something that drew you to technology? How, how did you start no, to align with that's technology? A good, that's a good question. In this particular case, it was not tech in its own self. It was the fact our clients, when I was working for this very small business, not a venture bank business, not a large corporation, it was our clients were technology providers. Okay. That's how I learned tech is by serving them. I sold to them and I worked with them. That's how I learned about a taxonomy, about software and hardware, communication protocols, et cetera, is because they were my clients and I had to learn about their business, their goals, problems, and needs. Uh, so you got the bug. I you did. Entrepreneurship. So it was a beautiful mm -hmm. convergence around the world because I got to be global for the first time. I had to get a passport for the first time at 30. How was that in terms of, uh, you know, back to, you mentioned mentors or advisors. Like, did you have somebody at that time that was kind of took you under their wing or? Yeah, no, that's a good question. The, the owner of this firm. It was the owner. Yeah. And he owned it a hundred percent. I didn't even ask for any ownership. I didn't know any better. I'd come mm -hmm. from a large company with a company car. What do I, mm -hmm. I know? You know, I knew that it was a small business and it was myself, his admin and his wife. That was it. And I knew it was under a million dollars. That didn't scare me because I'm not scared about things like that. You know me well. I'm like, okay, well, we need to be bigger than this. <laughs> and I said, what's our goal? And I was like, to be bigger than this. And I'm like, that doesn't suit me. I got to have specific <laughs> goals. But actually, uh, his name is Randy Murphy. He passed, sadly, while I was in Cincinnati. He was my mentor. Complex human. Very, very brilliant. I wanted to be just like him. Mm. You know, and I wanted to have his brain. I wanted to have his capacity emotionally. He was so good on his feet. He was just awesome. I didn't, and I failed early and often, and he almost fired me. And then somehow <laughs> I clicked, and it, I figured it out. So I was with him seven years, and we grew that business from 500K to when I left about 15 million, and he owned it 100%. And I never wow. questioned that. I didn't, I mean, why would I, right? I was paid well. I was on commission. I traveled the world. I was learning like crazy technology and models that we were building and teaching. I mean, it was a time of my life, Tim. Well, really and, you, was. and you were doing something you hadn't done before and taking Ever. the places they had never been before, right? So. Ever done before. I'd never done that work before. Ever. I was a newbie. I was in a beginner's mind working with a very complex, self-made entrepreneur, bootstrapping his business. And I had so much to learn. It was overwhelming, right? Unlike the, unlike the situation you were in 
prior to that, when you're in a bigger company with process and overhead and you're like, why do we do this? Why do we do that? In this case, did you feel like it was more connected? You understood why certain things happen you get, or is it because would, you got to I'll, see more of it. Yeah, I was in it. We mm -hmm. would build product, services products. We would set up certifications. So we teach others to teach others. You, you see what I'm saying? We watch cash flow every day. I mean, this was a real business, a bootstrap business, right? That, that, that's one of the things I, I love about startups is you're not inheriting, oh, we've do always done it this way. Everything about the company, your organization, et cetera, is purpose-built for the thing you're trying to do. That's right. No, that's well said. I do think he had had some hardwired ideas that I completely did not support. Example, hmm. he did not believe in marketing. And it's not that I was a, a classic marketer. That would be an exaggeration. But I understood marketing because I worked for very large companies that were big brands, General Foods, Allstate Insurance Company. Yes? Mm -hmm. part of Sears. I mean, I understood brands just intuitively. I understood demand gen intuitively, right? That you had to create demand with consumers. I'd worked both B2B and B2C. And I'd ask him about that. He goes, oh, we don't spend money on that. We don't, we don't do that. I'm like, why? That, that's going to help us grow. So it was that there was tension there, but there was also opportunity because finally he broke down and gave in, right? Because I was on the product development side. I was on the marketing side. I was on the sales side. I was the first outside employee beyond his assistant, right? And his family, his wife. So it was, it was a very interesting time. And then as I do... Remember, I'm about experiences. I'm about being self-directed. I'm about being independent. And then I started pushing back a little bit. That wasn't awesome for him. So <laughs> at the end of seven years, I said, you know, I think I can do this on my own. That He didn't like hearing that. And I he bet. sued me right? For breach of IP, which of course I didn't do, but he was paranoid. Good entrepreneurs oftentimes are. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from that too. So I set my sales out to go join another firm, not as the founder, but as a, an executive, not co-founder. And that was in Europe. So mm -hmm. I left Dallas, Texas and him, my mentor, my Rex Harrison, my fair lady guy, started off on my own and lived in a place I never lived. And that was a whole nother chapter. And that's where I really got my chops globally, understood a lot more about my weaknesses relative to cultural norms. You know, all dressed up in my Dallas clothes, you know, with my little <laughs> Southern accent in Scotland and Russia and France, and Germany. So I actually was on the ground in all the countries in Europe, and certainly in the UK, uh, with very big clients like IBM delivering, selling and delivering, basically sales training and marketing training, right? But this time, on, the, on a, a founding team, but not a founder, uh, a group similar to what I had done in Dallas. So that made you very attuned to the differences of culture 
oh. which I would imagine also is a big uh, piece of what informs your decision-making now working with ecosystems, right? Not to just come in from one place to another and say, this is how we did it in Silicon Valley. Here's how we're going to do it in you know, Louisville. You have to be so sensitive to this. And so I love but still young, still very naive, never money motivated, always motivated by learning, by being self-directed, going back to that North Star. But yeah, I got to tell you, that was a, a rude awakening to be a Dallas, a, a, a Mississippi girl that had moved now from New Orleans to Dallas and now to the UK, did not have any money and learning culture and learning how Brits look at Americans from Texas, <laughs> right? Learning that you, show, you don't need to wear your red patent shoes when you're calling on IBM. That's not awesome because they wear dark, brown, black. This is somber. This is the UK, right? Just those kinds of things. So there, it was hard. I, would, I made so many mistakes. And by the way, most of them painful. In other words, mm. it would be visible in a crowd, you know, that I said the wrong thing or didn't understand what they were saying. So the rapid iteration of my experiences and my knowledge, I want you to know it was painful. It wasn't like, oh, mm -hmm. yay, thank you for that correction. It was based on failure and embarrassment and humiliation, my own, that I wouldn't have known that or would, have, would not have prepared. So it was hard. It was very hard, but, you know, whatever. You learn. Yeah, you learn. That's how you learn. And then you made your way ultimately to San Francisco. But no, I moved <laughs> from the UK back to Dallas, which uh -huh. I moved before. That was easy. Set up uh, another company, my own company with a co-founder. So for the first time, I became a pure entrepreneur, right, mm -hmm. in Dallas. Did very well. We went from zero to... I don't know, 7 million in two years, um, selling a very specific product only to high tech. So I'm still in high tech, very deeply ground now. Uh, we did that. And then late around the world, we were growing that business. And then, um, you know, we were acquired by a bigger entity. So there was a good match there. We continued to acquire others. And then we were acquired as a total entity by Siebel and um, still had not gotten to California. I mean, I lived in Dallas at that time. We moved to Boulder for a couple of years. And that's when, after the Boulder experience, I moved to San Francisco for a decade. And that's after an exit. So things were different. I did have money. I had a different kind of experience of building a business from scratch, being acquired twice, even in one year. Uh, having money I never thought about having. And now I was an angel investor and, and, and had the startup bug like venture back startup bug. So remember how late that came, right? So big code, small business, global business, entrepreneur, yes? And then after an exit saying, I haven't even learned, I haven't begun to learn what I need to learn about startups. I never saw us as a startup. I saw us differently. So I had a lot to learn and spent one decade deep in learning mode around venture-backed startups in the Bay Area. Massive learning, including investing as an angel and running companies that didn't go well. Some did go well, but mostly not well. It was hard. I did not go to the beach. 
or buy a Rolex or whatever they or fancy cars. <laughs> I stayed in it to learn. And because I'm self-directed and I needed these experiences and I knew I hadn't come close to my potential as a human or as a professional. Well, and you were connected with somebody, mutual friend that uh, was also top woman entrepreneur and investor, Heidi Roizen. Yeah, she's one of my best friends. I talked to her last night. <laughs> Did you? So you definitely were learning from some of the best. Yes, uh, I think there. so. And Brad Feld had a lot to and do with that because he actually was Heidi's partner at Mobius, if you remember, SoftBank and Mobius. Mm -hmm. And it's actually Brad that introduced me to Heidi. Oh, really? And, I didn't know. Yeah. That. And so oh. we, Heidi and I have deepened our relationship over the years. I mean, I feel like part of her family. And yeah, so I did. I uh, I was blessed with under, being raised with an understanding of relationships, Tim, like you, right? And I always treated my relationships um, with grace, right, with respect. And whoever I met or was introduced to by anyone, I found that an honor. And I really doubled down on that, even as a young woman, and continued that even to being an elder, a wise elder these days. I mean, relationships are everything. But yeah, so I think this relationship stuff, just to tip on that a mm -hmm. little bit, I do think in our new world of Zoom and in our world of social platforms, you know, which was 15 years ago that all that happened, <laughs> uh, which are uh, longer, which accelerated a lot of these connections. What I wonder about now in the spirit of life is how many of those connections really connected in, in terms of value exchanged and relationships truly developed, right? I don't think even for us, and we had a lot of serendipity about our um, introduction, and Heidi and I too, right? I mean, we're women, we're same age, we didn't do the same work, but we understood technology. So there are a lot of reasons for us to be able to connect, but there, there are a lot of reasons for us not to. I mean, you know, so we really had to be mindful of what were the drivers of our kind of humanity, our human existence, both personally, of course, and professionally. And that's how these connections really grow, strengthen, and develop into lifelong relationships, which is what you and I will have, right? Which is what many of my friends in Cincinnati and I will have. And I know that to be true, right? And I invest, as you do, in those connections because they have converted into relationships that matter, right? So I just want that to be heard. And to know that at this stage in my life, I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing without those relationships. I didn't know a lot of people in Colorado when I moved back here. I knew a few, most of them in Boulder. Now the work I do is across the whole state. How could that be? Right? How could that be? Not just because I was a groupie of tech stars or I knew Brad. I mean, it, it takes a lot more than just one person or one experience to give you another shot on goal achieving your potential as a human, right? And that was really, uh, I think, exemplified when you came to Cincinnati for Centrifuge because you very, very quickly worked your way into the community. And I don't mean that in a superficial way or just say, hey, I know who that person is or that CEO is, but 
you built so many relationships with so many people who became friends of yours and, and vice that versa. Treasure, that I treasure uh, because they taught me. They were mm-hmm. patient with me. And then over time, I was able to bring value to them. Not in the beginning, because I didn't know Cincinnati. I didn't know. There were so many things I didn't know. Like so many, it was overwhelming. Yet, you know, I could tell they wanted to help. And I felt responsible, of course, to delivering impact for the region. So it was was quite natural, but also overwhelming. And I would say that to others that may be listening is that you don't ever, you don't know for sure in the beginning of a new role or a new experience. You don't really know the value you're going to be able to exchange over time. All you can do is stay present and listen and learn and observe. Listen, learn, observe. Be mindful of where you are and how that place has certain cultural norms and how that place, going back to my experience in Europe. And, you know, just be mindful of that. Remember, I moved to Cincinnati when I was 60 and I never lived there before. Think about how much I didn't know. But I was curious and I respected that I had a job to do. Mm-hmm. And I respected that what I did in, in California was not a complete port over. It was not. And not if I, I remember every time I was uh, introduced as an executive from Silicon Valley, I went, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, please don't refer to me that way. I lived there in the Bay Area for 10 years. I'm, I, I invested and I hung out with some very important people. But to call me a Silicon Valley executive was a bit of a stretch, right? But, you know, that helped with legitimacy, I guess. But I would never have ported that knowledge or that 10 years of experience, poured that into Cincinnati. That would have been an F, not the right thing to do. Right. So you were, that that listening and curiosity is helped you then to, people weren't looking to you for the answers to anything. And you didn't have the answers. Nobody did. But you facilitated and coordinated, and then you gave a voice to what the people and the stakeholders wanted to do. And, and you probably do this in everywhere you go. You gave a voice in your unique Southern way. So people started talking about, you know, their dirt and instead of large corporations, it was big goes and et cetera, et cetera. So some of the Wendy isms still survive today. Funny when I hear people say just the little things in their sentences, I'm like, Wendy was here. So take us to today. Now energize Colorado. My little silver lining. Yeah, so I haven't even had the chance to learn a, a ton about. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about, yeah. you know, what you're doing and how that brings together all of these well, learnings you've had through your various tours of duty. My tours of duty. Well, first of all, as we all know, we're in a very complex set of crises, uh, not just public health, but economic and mental health, as well as social injustice, racial inequity. So when you're in that hairball of complexity, uh, one has to really think through how are you going to maneuver through that? And in our our own governor, Jared Polis, who is an entrepreneur and who's a technology guy, he had just been voted in in November. The crisis hits in March. 
So he doesn't even have his feet wet when he is facing a challenge beyond any challenge imagined. So he called on his private sector friends and colleagues mm-hmm. to help him think through everything in collaboration, though, with his cabinet. Okay? So it wasn't Jared talking to just one or two people in the private sector. He had to bring resources to bear from his cabinet, right, from the public health czar to the economic development czar and everybody in between, right, those agency leads. So that's how it really energized Colorado. I mean, I won't go into the origin story per se, but just imagine that happening, right? And Colorado is a not a big business state. It's not like Ohio right? It's not a big co-state. It is a small business state. We have 670,000 small businesses. 97% of our economy is wrapped around that part of the whole state. That's a lot. And so the net net is through Governor Polis's desire to learn from, lean into private capability not and to pull public and private capability together energize colorado was born first to help stabilize and reopening of our small business sector 500 employees or less including nonprofits across the state and then to help think through the build out of a resilient economy and an inclusive one So we are a wild and crazy group of about 500 spirited volunteers with an ethos of Coloradans helping Coloradans that are building products and services to help the small business sector, again, maneuver, navigate through the hairball and begin to think about this next economy being more resilient and more inclusive and it is just hard demanding for me i'm a full volunteer i am not paid to do this i have six co-founders brad feld being one brad and i short term have funded the nonprofit while we were very focused on raising a fund for small businesses not a venture fund but a fund of grants and loans right and CARES Act money, a very broad capital stack. Um, we're, we're month seven. We've launched uh, four major initiatives. We've, we're framing out four more around digital readiness, digital innovation. No surprise that we would do that. It, it's just, it's amazing work. It, and everything I learned in Cincinnati, I have a chance now to reorient those learnings so they can fit into the culture of Colorado, Mm -hmm. which is very different, right? And it's just an honor and a privilege to do the work. And all these volunteers, I'll end on this, these volunteers I work with every day, do you know that I've only met three of them? (laughs) So you're making all this impact, all this progress, initiatives, et cetera, et cetera, and it's all been on Zoom. (laughs) All on Zoom. So if you go to EnergizeColorado.com, which was built by volunteers, if you look at any of our initiatives, 
If you go to our leadership team, yes, I have one, shared services, product builders, and go-to-market leaders. No surprise that I would do that, right? Because we're covering minority-led, women-led, rural businesses, front-range businesses, right? We're veterans businesses. I mean, we segmented small into chunks, and we have leaders that listen and learn to the needs of those segments so we can fill gaps. And we have partnerships galore. We can do nothing on our own. What can we do, right? We have people that, that volunteer five hours to me, 60 hours, right? Depends. So I have learned so much. And so in my mind's eye, I imagine Energize America, hmm. right? Because this is a volunteer-led model with very specific initiatives that are built and instantiate through a website. This is stuff we know how to do as entrepreneurs, right? Well, and, that, that taps into something Brad talked about in his yes. Startup Communities book, which is organic. Absolutely. Not, not top down. No, no. And we experiment all the time and we shut down as many projects as we launch initiatives. Why? Because we don't know. You know, we don't know if they're going to work. So mm -hmm. far, we haven't had to shut down but two. And when I say shut down, they just didn't work. You right. know, it, the, what we built wasn't right. The audience didn't want to use it, you know. But the, the success, the impact that we're building so far now as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, I can see what takes hold and not. But, you know, this is a, a big state. We got an urban part of the state and a rural part of the state, not so unlike Ohio, by the way. Mm -hmm. Our rural folks are different from yours because we're mountain people, right? But our small business sector, I'll end on this, is deeply, deeply in the hole right now. Deeply in the hole. And uh, we, it, this is not a reboot effort. This is a rebuild for sure. Some of these businesses will never start again. And some maybe shouldn't. And others have started again and have found new streams of revenue, uh, not just through technology, but just through their own chutzpah and their own will and their own discipline, working closely with their customers. But it is like no time I've ever experienced. And um, I love the work, yet it is very, very hard because you're trying to trend line products and services. You're not knocking on doors. You're not sitting having coffee with people. You know, you're doing things digitally. You know, it's lonely. I, it's not like I'm collaborating with people down the hall like we did at Union Hall. Um, it, it's, it's, and I miss that. I miss that because you have a tendency to over-intellectualize things because the spirit of the work doesn't get out as much, right? right? I mean, I've already done three presentations this morning to groups of chambers, right? <laughs> in Douglas County or civic organizations or entrepreneurs. That's what I do, right? Spread the word because my job is to make sure these offers, these offerings get in the hands of small businesses, not just startups. That's just one segment. That is terrific. I, I know it's tough and it's a challenge, but that's often where the best innovation comes from, that crisis. And if it weren't for COVID, maybe there's some things that should have been questioned that are getting looked at fresh. 
And uh, hopefully, and when we look back in 20 years or even longer, there's Energize Colorado, Energize America, and that much of what you're doing now, who knows? Who knows? In fact, it's going to have long term. So I, I, but this, this is vision, right? And if you're me and if you're you, entrepreneurs have to have a clear vision, right? As well as a mission. Those are two different things, as you well know. And then we have to execute mm -hmm. with a very clear set of intentions, objectives, strategies, et cetera, to come close to the mission so you can accomplish the vision. Execution is part of my game. And there's, I uh, have a sense of urgency as well. So I feel proud and thank you for asking. You, sh you should be. And it's great to see energized Wendy right now. You could tell you're, you're in your element. So that is awesome. I am. Thank you very much, Wendy. It's great to see you. Yeah, it was great Thanks for you. sharing with everybody. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks to everyone who listened or who will listen. Take care. Thanks for listening to Fast Frontiers. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, fastfrontiers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Again, in this first week of Fast Frontiers Season 2, we have three great conversations to share. You can listen to them all right now. Join us next week when we bring you my conversation with Noor Swede, General Partner at Global Ventures.